All right, so this is the BRS WWC hybrid method uh, update. This is our first update in nine months. So if you watch 20 episodes, yeah. uh, you probably wanna see where this is going because uh, <laughs> it's actually pretty interesting. This one's different. You've maybe been watching this for the last few weeks. Mm. We did the 160, what? There's failures all over the place. Yeah, right? the, I was like one of my favorite parts. Laundry of list of failures. Yeah, you learn yeah. a lot in five years. Yeah, so we're, we're gonna follow the same kind of thing here, but a little different because one, you're gonna learn about things that you didn't know so there are some secrets out there about the one, uh, 750XXL and the E170 that you probably didn't hear about or maybe briefly heard about. Uh, then we're gonna talk about what, what worked, which is a laundry list of things that worked, uh, in comparison to our failures and mistakes, not as long, but still valuable. I'd call this like the inverse of the WW, uh, or excuse me, the 160 yeah. updates in the fact that the list of <laughs> did work is really, really big. Yeah. Uh, and only a few little things that maybe we'll tweak in the end. So the first thing I think we can cover is maybe some of those things that you didn't actually know what on with this tank, starting yeah. with. Little secrets and nuggets like bacterial blooms. Mm. Everywhere, bacterial blooms. I mean, the tank was cloudy. Uh, and we learned that that ended up being, you know, as part of a bare bottom system and the hassles of having this bare bottom system. I will tell you that, I mean, we didn't hide it because you could see it in, if you go yeah, back to those episodes <laughs> and you can see the cloud behind right us, behind, right? Yeah. She didn't talk about it a whole lot. And I guess part of it is because I hadn't encountered cloudy tanks like that before. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really done bare bottoms before either. Yeah. Right? And so now I know. There was a couple instances where it really popped its head up. And we, you know, we started the tank with the rock. We did the bacterial, you know, supplements. We added all the bacterial starters and things like that. We added a first group of fish, uh, some smaller fish. But it was really like a couple times when we added a, a large addition of large fish, boom, oh. bacterial bloom, just yeah. everywhere. And uh, and then we it happened a couple other times too. So there's one caveat to that. Yeah. It happened a lot in this one. and didn't happen in the E170 yeah, in my true. office. There is a reason to that, and I'll let you know what it is a little bit later. Yep. But like, yeah, we just uh, weren't ready for all the bacterial blooms. We'll tell you a little bit more about it later. Another one that was uh, that you may not have known, and I, this was mm. funny for me, is like, so we're consulting Josh, we're consulting the WWC team, and uh, you know, it's about that time on along our timeline where we're like, okay, we're, it's coral time. Like, this tank has been up, following our progression of this tank and the advice we're giving you, this thing should have coral in it any time now. And Josh came back and said, no coral, no coral for you. Yeah, uh, well, I actually <laughs> did put it in. He was yeah. already here with it. He just, but he looked at it, yeah, and he's like, dude, this thing is not ready yeah. for what we're like. He put like a lot of coral in there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and it probably really wasn't, but like you got tickets here, here in Minnesota, mm. uh, and like this whole series kind of plugging along. And sometimes there's like external factors that force you to do things. Like yeah. I think we've all been through it, home tank, this tank, whatever. But luckily, man, we didn't have like, like losses or anything from it, but he mm -hmm. was pretty nervous about adding all this stuff to uh, Yeah. I don't think anybody does that. Like, you know, you talk about four month cycle, but it's not four month cycle and then dump $10,000 worth of corals in a tank. Uh, another one, man, is the surprise I think that probably don't, people like wouldn't expect is the lower tech option is actually doing mm. better than the high tech option. You can see with the E170 here, like these tiny little frags mm. have grown out into some of them four or five inches long, yeah. right? In just nine months. Still surprising too, uh, that this thing is, is working after the other secret, which is mm. the alkalinity went to 40 dKH. Yeah, that's that like a, a, I did the measurement on how much of a gallon of uh, bicarb would add to the tank, mm -hmm. uh, but we dosed like almost a gallon or something of bicarb by accident to the tank. Yeah. And I think the DKH was like in, probably in the 40s. It survived, but there was, uh, like, if you watch my Facebook, then yeah. you probably already knew all about this, right? Because uh, I, I share a lot of the, like, the little bits and bumps in the road on my Facebook. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, man, like, that was a big challenge. Uh, but the tank just went right through it, man. Because it, it's so, so stable and everything has uh, really, really solid health in it. You can just, like, hit those little bumps and it will soak right up. If it was, like, really stressed out, it probably would have wiped out everything. Uh, and uh, another one, man, is, uh, I don't know, maybe you, if you only see this in Facebook, too. I don't know. This might have been only in Facebook, too, but, yeah. This thing got dinos. Uh, Dino uh, like last. Actually, I think it got it more than once. I think so, too. There was yeah. a, probably a couple different times, but one where we absolutely, we had to do something about it, mm -hmm. right? For sure, UV and maybe just a shutting off or slowing down feeding just didn't work, but there was an approach that we took that absolutely worked. Yeah. But 
it happened on this day. All right, so starting there with uh, what actually worked with the BRS WWC hybrid method, and I guess this isn't really part of the method, but no. what worked, one of the things that worked on this tank was solving dynos. And so, for those of you who don't know, we did a little series on uh, like a five-minute tank guide, yeah. and one of them was solving dynos, yep. right? Yeah. I just want super clear, like precise information on how to solve some step packed in a like, little five-minute mm -hmm. chunk, right? Yeah, and the approach that you laid out in that uh, video, we did exactly verbatim on this tank, dynos gone. Yeah, and so I'd like to take credit for that, but I can't because it's <laughs> all the people that before me uh, developed uh, the methods for mm. beating dinos and like, you know, there's so much information that's shared over on reef to reef and all kinds of different places. Yeah. And so what I did is just sort through all of it. And I just like read and read and read and read and tried to figure out where, you know, all the past that seemed to uh, co-mingle or produce results for mm -hmm. people. And then I talked to all the people that I know and like what they're doing. And so the first thing is a lot of people believe that they are uh, a result of super, super low nitrate and phosphate. Yeah, right? this unbalance yeah. or imbalance and low super low, ultra low type, almost sterile type tank environment. Yeah, so by the way, there's a bunch of steps here and some of them work for some people, some of them don't. Combined, they work really well. Yeah. So let's solve that problem first. And so we used uh, the Brightwell's Neo... Neo uh, Nitro and Neo Foss. Neo Foss. Yep. Those two things, we got the levels up and all we're looking for mostly is non-zero, right? Just maintain anything above zero and we're mm -hmm. good, right? Uh, and so now that we know the nutrients isn't a problem, we go ahead and black the tank out. So, you know, it's a photosynthetic organism, so just black it out totally. Yeah. And uh, I think we suggest like three days, but I think we actually went through like five days. Probably. And then we add the predators, right? So now while it's weak, it's not getting its energy, uh, the uh, other elements in the tank can fight back because they have the nitrate and phosphate to be able to, to fight back against mm -hmm. them. Now let's add the predators. So we dose the Microbacter 7, which is like a mix of like heterotrophic bacteria and some others, and we dose that in there. Now there's like a fighting chance because they have the nitrate and phosphate they need to populate the tank. Right. The, what they're trying to beat doesn't have any light energy to win, mm -hmm. and they have the nitrate and phosphate to do it. And then finally, we added the UV sterilizer to the tank as well. Yeah, so some of those uh, some of those photosynthetic ones, when the light, you know, when they lose their light source, they kind of lose their grip and ability to kind of bind together, bound bind together. Mm -hmm. In which case, they end up some most of them, a lot of them, end up free floating in the water column. So they do get the opportunity to go through the UV sterilizer and then sterilize, oh. stop their a lot uh, of people. It's spread. just that's all they do. Yeah, the UV sterilizer solves it. And for those of you who don't know, we didn't like go plummet into the system. Mm -mm. All we did Hung is. Uh, hung it on the side of the tank. We got an appropriately sized one, got the pump on there, and had it hang over the side of the tank. Recirculating. And recirculating when, mm -hmm. it, when it beat it, it's done. So uh, after uh, that, when we turned the lights back on, took the blackout off, solved. Good to go. Yeah. Right? And so there's people that like almost shut down tanks over this. Not almost, do shut down tanks oh, yeah. over this. And fight it eternally. And for me, I think it's that combination of like, let's hit it from all angles, totally worked on this tank. So that was really cool. And uh, what was the next one? Uh, so what worked for this one was the moniker that, you know, that mantra that we had, simple, stable, simple, stable, simple. I think in every single episode, you probably could have like counted on two sets of hands. How many times you said simple and stable? It was just this repetitive thing that we tried to knock in your, into your brain. And it all came from like WWC. WWC had, it was basic, their setups were basic, they were simple, but they were stable with minimal amount of changes. Yeah, so I gotta tell you, uh, what didn't work a little bit is I probably bored you to death with simple and stable, <laughs> right? Uh, but uh, I was like intentional actually, yeah. you know? It's there to like, just bring it home, man. This thing doesn't need to be overly complex. Mm. Don't have to outthink every last thing and just make it simple and make it so that if one thing breaks, the whole thing doesn't fall down. Yeah, right? for sure. So yeah, that absolutely worked. All right, so related simple and stable, man, is the four month cycle. I mean, there's nothing more simple than, I mean, it's tough. I mean, it's not simple for me, but letting this, setting up a tank and letting it go for four months without doing anything. So the four month cycle, uh, absolutely a win, 
but really tough to do, especially if you're a beginner. Like to keep to say, don't touch anything, don't do anything for four months, and just let it go. Super tough to do. Like I want to have this day one. Uh, so to tell me that four months uh, is the best approach. It's, it's tough to do and hold yourself back, but absolutely worth it. If you just take your time, man, and just let it you know, do its thing without the lights on, mm. uh, maybe there are fish in there or whatnot, but you don't turn the lights on, the chances of success are way higher at four months than they are at two weeks, especially dry rock, mm -hmm. especially if you're using uh, no, or going bare bottom. So uh, utilitarian fish, though, during that time. So one of the things is like, man, just enjoy your tank. Add your fish, right? You have a fish tank, you yeah. know, for the first few months. You may have a fish tank. It's getting, you know, uh, established around that. If you want, man, you know, turn, like, the moonlight feature of your lights on or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there's a little twinkle or whatever in there. But, like, just enjoy the fish tank in the beginning. But utilitarian fish, algae, never been a problem in this tank. No, and I think... Uh I think what you can get past all I the... I mean, not even existing. No. Way. Yeah. Uh, I think when you can get past the, the bright and shiny fish uh, that are exist out there, the ones that are like, I really want that one, but you, yeah, but you buy a fish, to, a fish with a purpose, uh, there's some really pretty fish out there and some really awesome looking fish out there that have a purpose. Uh, a lot of these tanks, like the Tang Gang is what we called it all throughout the series. Mm -hmm. uh, gorgeous looking fish, awesome to look at, but also a benefit probably a, a major benefit when it comes to like keeping the algae out. Okay, so you guys are getting tired of this too, but I gotta tell you, this is one of my first experiences establishing a full brand new tank with uh, quarantine fish from marine collectors. Mm. So Elliot helped us uh, get all the fish for this thing. We haven't had any breakout of any illnesses in this tank and like, Dude, this is, some of these are expensive fish. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, and so, like, I don't know. I would call it a total win. Either quarantine at home, uh, do it the right way, uh, get the protocol uh, mm. from somebody who's done it before. I guarantee you, I know this is getting kind of drawn out here, but we will get you uh, the Marine Collector's protocol for doing it so you can just teach you how to do it yourself. The QT. You know, yeah, you don't have to go out and buy expensive fish. But for people who don't have that opportunity uh, or time or space, there are options, man. Because now that I have all these fish in here, I would never put a non-quarantine fish in here because I put them all at risk. So this just worked and makes me feel super safe. I order fish from him or he sends them to us and he finds them special for us. And I just don't even think twice about putting it in there. No, and they all have a job. So oh, they're, yeah. all, uh, they're either looking for pests actively or they're eating at algae actively. So we don't have those issues. Another thing that absolutely worked here was considering tank nutrition rather than just like nutrients like nitrate and phosphate. I mm. uh, definitely got this from WWC and uh, kind of matched some of the things that we thought about before. Yeah, I don't have to feel like I'm starving my fish. I, if I have a lot of fish, I can feed a whole lot. And then I just match my export to my input and my fish are fat and happy and healthy. My corals grow because there's extra, you know, fish waste and extra food in the tank. So uh, nutrition, I, I'm only worried about what goes in and then balancing that with an export. Yeah, so uh, one of the things when we were there, they were talking a lot about like fish poo, right? Uh, and you know, the reason for that is fish have really, really poor digestive tracts, right? Mm. And so they will break it down into tiny little particles, but it's still filled with uh, protein and energy and fat and whatever. Yeah. And so all those little particles go into the tank, right? And so they are 100% sold that more fish, more poo, more better. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, and I got to tell you, I'm totally behind it. Yeah, so that was actually one of the things where both me and Josh just like got each other. Like, mm -hmm. uh-huh, I wish somebody would just tell the world right and it's that you know nitrate or nitrogen and phosphorus is just like one component of the whole puzzle man mm -hmm. they talk in words of protein right yeah and the things that make up protein and energy right so these are the things that are super super important and that really led into the one of the things he said is like every time we have like a sick coral you know, yes. we give it easy-to-use sources of protein or building blocks of protein with uh, amino acids. Amino acids. And we, and this is something that we, so we heard that, and we've seen, you know, their success with dosing, like, Brightwell coral amino and amino acids to their mm -hmm. tanks, two specific corals that they're trying to uh, recuperate, you know. I'd call the coral amino, like, a huge win, 
right? Yeah. Uh, and like a, a sparked an evolution in knowledge for me. Uh, and so, and all anecdotally, all the things that we put it in worked. And then, like actually, I kind of missed it in the fact that all those amino acids uh, from uh, uh, Coral and Zook that we were using in the 160. Same also, thing. man, Same like thing. anecdotally, like awesome. I can't prove it to you, yeah. right? All right, so let's get past that. We did the experiment where we uh, had these like low uh, uh, health corals, right? Mm -hmm. Started dosing the coral amino from Brightwell, and then boom. Color, like, growth, the whole kind Everything of, comes back. Yeah, exactly. Like, starts out competing the algae and stuff that was like trying to eat its skeleton. Now it's healthy enough, it can beat back the mm -hmm. algae even. Mm -hmm. So I'd call like really going after coral nutrition, protein, you know, feeding the fish, and then supplementing with like really easy to uh, use uh, elements uh, of protein like amino acids and uh, the coral amino, a huge, huge win. All right, so one of the other things that we saw that was a big win with the hybrid method was actually that low tech approach. This is, right? my, this is my favorite approach because uh, for a lot of people that were watching these, this series and they were seeing the amount of dollars that went into this tank right here, it was good to have uh, an alternative option out there that was something I could see in my own home, in my own apartment, in my office or what have you, without dumping a whole ton of money in. Yeah, not only does low tech work, in this case, it's actually working better. Yeah. Right. So the E170, I wouldn't call the E170 uh, like a super cheap tank. No. But it is like a representative of what you could do with like an all-in-one simple you know, box design. Mm -hmm. There are lots of options out there that are even cheaper. Uh, but the the mentality here is a pretty inexpensive skimmer. Yep. Two inexpensive uh, pumps that do high flow. Mm -hmm. Just some. Maintaining calcium and alkalinity, no fancy uh, trace element solution and whatnot. Blanket of light with the T5 and LED combo, and just patience. Watch it, watch it go. Steady Boom. parameters, simple and stable. Yeah, and with the T5 uh, like Kessel combo, like I actually consider it to be like the T5s are primer producing the primary light, and then I'm using the Kessel to provide like the visual shimmer and sense of depth mm -hmm. and contrast and color that I want for the tank. But together, man, it's just a total no-brainer. Works every time. For nine months, man, this is pretty impressive growth from just adding some little frags to, mm -hmm. to nine months. Yeah, uh, I, It's hard to imagine where this will be in nine months from now. We did add, like, you'll see some of the smaller ones. We just added those, like, a few weeks ago. So yeah. the Worldwide guys sent us some new corals. But there's also, we have this, uh, we have this, this hypothesis about why nine months in this E170 tank uh, seems to be performing better than nine months in this 750XXL. And we're gonna chalk that one up to the win of using the ultra low maintenance established old rock that's already been mature, has been in the tank for oh, probably almost a year or just under a year until this E170 went up and it was almost like instant tank. Instant mature tank, let's add corals to it, and boom. Yeah, I will chalk up the speed at to which this tank has flourished 100% to the fact that the rock had already been used in a tank for mm. over a year. Yeah, we're coming up on, so you're, you're now you're coming up on almost two years of this rock being mature. Uh, so maybe we could expect like in the next year with this one, that now this has about a, a year to mature and we're coming up in our second year that we might see an explosion here. Like I think you're gonna see these these corals here, which are you know significantly bigger than we got them. Because mm -hmm. we got them, they were tiny little nubbins, yeah, right? Yeah, true. And now they're all branching out. Some of them have 20 heads on them. You can see they're ready to go, Yeah, right? it's gonna be like a switch. Nine months from now, when you see the next update, I expect this thing to be just totally flourishing mm -hmm. with coral all over the place. And that one to uh, probably be like looking, starting to approach <laughs> we're overgrown, have to prune. right? Yeah. Yeah, it will definitely be pruning. Maybe send out frags or something. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I would say low tech here, man, is one of the coolest things that we learned. It fits the simple and stable approach all the way. And uh, I don't know, one of the cooler things we learned. All right, so related to that, I think another thing that really worked was actually the mentality of waiting for Coraline to grow first yep. means it's a sign that mm. uh, the tank is ready for corals. You know, Josh, this one resonated with me from Josh when he was giving this advice is, okay, so, I'm growing an SPS dominant tank, or my goal is an SPS dominant tank, and these are encrusting, you know, skeletal laying type corals. And he said, 
Uh, how can he expect, you know, uh, an acro or some of these SPS to lay down skeleton? He calls it laying down skeleton, but to build skeletal structure. Uh, if I'm not even seeing, you know, like calcareous algae grow in the tank. So, uh, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Like uh, when I see calcareous algae growing and encrusting on the rocks, I can almost guarantee that I drop a, a tester frag or something in there as far as an acro and I can expect the same thing. So mm -hmm. there's something in that tank that's saying, I'm ready for your encrusting corals. And, so I think Josh was spot on with that one. And I also think he was spot on with the next one too. It was a big win to, we didn't drop all of each one of these corals in there all at once. Uh, his goal was, hey, after about three, four months when you're in this cycle and you're ready, for, you think you're ready for coral, just put a couple test frags in there. So I think actually one of the cool things you could do is try like ORA frags. Yeah. You know, for those who don't know, those are like maricultured bulletproof corals. Yeah. If uh, if you kill one of those in there, you're not ready. <laughs> right? Those things will survive anything. Yeah. Right? Uh, they have been cultured inside of uh, in these types um, of environments, you know, like a propagation man for mm -hmm. like you know ten generations. You know, so like uh, yeah, I would absolutely uh, call the uh, test coral a total win. You should definitely do that before anything else. All right, so another thing that really worked for me uh, in this whole system was learning from Victor and Josh mm. about flow. I totally think about flow in a totally different way now. It's just not more is better or anything nonsense like that mm -hmm. or 30X or 50X or 100X. It's about the right tool for the right job. And so, I mean, they say that lighting or flow is more like uh, important than getting lighting right, right? Uh, I mean, I can see why, especially on some of these, uh, on these SPS dominant and heavy tanks, when you go look at their 900, when you go look at their 500, I mean, you're seeing these big pan array type things on their 900, you're seeing multiples of, uh, on the back and on the front, and on the, or on the back and the sides uh, on the 500 of your MP40s, your MP60s, but they're strategically placed in all of these different areas. So they've got a couple on the back, one down on the bottom that kicks up stuff from the bottom, one on the top in the back that kicks the, keeps it churned up on the there. They got the main ones in the center of the tank towards the front that are pushing your majority of your flow, your heavy flow across. And that's something that we took here with two MP60s on the front side and then the MP40s in the back, specifically those ones in the back corners that kick up the detritus out from underneath and behind the rocks. Uh, to get that stuff suspended and down to the filtration. We got a sheet of water going across the back, a sheet of water going across the back here, and then across the front. And it just keeps everything uh, mm. like uh, suspended, and it goes down, the, uh, the or down to the sump and is removed by all of the filtration. This is one of the reasons why also there are big strong components of uh, uh, no sand, right? Right. And so if you had all this flow, the sand, I don't care what size sand you have. It's everywhere. It's going to be everywhere. Now, maybe crushed coral or something like that would stick, but most sizes of the sands that we find attractive are would just be blown all over mm. the place. And so you probably can't do that with this much flow. But I would say it's keeping the tank very clean. It's getting all this stuff into the filtration where it can be removed and absolutely working. And beneficial, you know, like Dana Riddle talks about the flow, beneficial for these these uh, small polyp type corals too, right? Mm -hmm. Keeping some of the, uh, being fed from all different sides and angles, top, bottom, side, side, flows flowing in all aspects around this coral. And now it has, uh, I guess, uh, if you think about it, I guess it uh, gives it the opportunity to uh, grab onto some of those food particles or broken down fish waste. And because fish waste is suspended, are not collecting on the bottom, more available in the water column, not just to go down into the filtration, but also available, readily available for the corals. All right, so this leads into one that like people have been really probably want to know a lot about, is do we think that the bare bottom worked, right? You know, in this case, uh, I think it worked. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to call it a big win. And, and because I've had SPS tanks before and I know how important a, a whole lot of flow is, and I've fought with the sand. So just from that aspect of not having to deal with blowing around sand and being able to crank and turn my flow without even considering it or worrying about it, uh, it's a win in my book. Yeah. So we're balancing it here because, like, I will openly state I'd prefer that the sand was in here. I like the look nice. of it. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. And so uh, I will also tell you that uh, 
I'm done sticking my head in the sand and thinking that I don't have to clean it anymore, mm. right? You don't have to, like, you'll probably experience some mortalities or old tank syndrome or right, who knows, right. like, you don't have to clean it. But if you go in there and stir it up and all kinds of brown poo comes out of it, like, this is just a time bomb. <laughs> you know, like, it, when, it, when it hits you, who knows, or how, mm. or whatever. So. For me, it's not about sand or not have sand. It's just that if I have it, I need to clean it. Yep. If I don't, I don't. Yeah. Like the pumps will just keep all the garbage and send it down my filtration where I move it. And that's why they do it primarily, right? Mm. Is to get all the garbage out of the tank. Uh, it's because it need high flow. But even if it wasn't uh, the need for high flow, it's they don't want the Simple. garbage collecting in the sand. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's, it's time and effort. I mean, it, you can look at their 293 and the time and effort, meticulous sand cleaning that they do just to keep it looking pristine like it does. Sand, no sand, I don't know, your analogy about the, the, the kitty litter box uh, was pretty spot on. Like, if you have a cat with a cat litter box, you're gonna have to clean it, otherwise it just builds up. The Same poop thing. collects in the, in, the, in the cat litter box. Same thing. And like, I've had a bunch of people like in the comments, like, I'm tired of the cat litter box. <laughs> it's you know, it's so true, though. I, you know what, man? Like, tired of it, not. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's absolutely the right representation of what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, cat goes in there, poops in it, take out and clean it out, right? Yeah. And here, the fish are definitely pooping in it. The food is definitely going mm -hmm. into it, decaying. Undoubtedly. And it is filling up year by year by year getting more and more of that garbage it's in there not surprising yeah. so just clean it yeah man. it's not about don't have sand if you do clean it i think you're going to have higher percentage results long term you're going to be in a higher pool of people that see five to ten year success uh, than the people that don't yeah true i believe that wholeheartedly hmm. so having a bare bottom is part of the wwc brs hybrid method mm -hmm. uh, but i will tell you that it doesn't have to be, because most of you aren't gonna follow every last line item of every last system out there. Yeah. And so you can just choose to go ahead and have sand in there, but I would say that it's probably worthwhile to figure out how you're gonna do flow then, and then also clean it as part of your general maintenance cycle. Also somewhat related to the flow that we just covered, I think it's super important, is keeping the rock off the back of the tank. Yeah, this is something in the BRS 160 that we didn't do. I mean, there, the rock is not touching the back of the glass, so I'll give it that. But it's also not far enough away from the back of the glass to one for flow and like two for general maintenance too. But here we're uh, we're getting flow in all different sides. We're getting flow from the back, from the bottom, from the top, from the front, uh, and that's partly in due. Uh, that's partly in due to uh, the rock being off the back, not even close to touching the back. Yeah, and so when Joe was here uh, from Unique Corals, he actually uh, put cardboard on the back so that it reminded them that it needs to be able to pull this out, mm. you know, and that it can't be actually touching. But I think even like, you know, an inch or two if you can. Uh, and really, it does allow for a lot of flow. You know what it also does? It mm. allows you to clean the core line yeah, at the back really exactly. easy, right? And, yeah, I think there's uh, there's some, well, in the 160, we have corals that have gone from the rock structure onto the back of the tank now, and now we're blocked from, you know, cleaning that back of that thing. So yep. possibly could happen here when these things get big enough too, but you can always prune. Uh, but I'm a, I, I'm a big fan after we start, after we scrape the back of these tanks, I like it because the contrast of the corals against the back background is something I want to maintain like all through the tank's life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, getting the rock off the back, if you're setting up your first uh, uh, aquascape, I think is absolutely a key component. So related to that? Uh, the aquascape. I mean, this was something that uh, we didn't do in the 160 because when you first set up a tank, and I keep relating to the 160 because there was a lot of fails like we talked about in the last videos, uh, but I mean, we wanted it to look good from day one, which means you kind of fill up the tank, right? You fill up your space and then you get down the road and not planning for the future uh, and the corals start to grow and you only get, you know, uh, you know, a five inch colony and it's already out of the water because the aquascape was so high. So when Joe was building this aquascape, there was the halfway point cutoff and we, that one little spire over here went a little above, but 90% of the entire rock work, 95% of the rock work is below the halfway mark and that's gonna benefit us when these things grow out down the road. Yeah, and I'll say, man, most of these lessons we knew, but at the same time, for the first time we were filming like this setup of a large tank mm. and you just want it to look full, uh, you know? So uh, that was a lesson there. Uh, then like, hey man, it's just gonna look empty here mm. for a while and so be it. 
but when it's full, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. Uh, and so definitely learn that about the Aquascape. I will tell you that there's a couple of things I liked about this tank too. Uh, this Aquascape, a the whole shelf thing. Uh, hopefully, Dave will be able to get a nice like kind of 360 thing because like on a 2D image, it's actually hard to see the depth and coolness mm. of it. So when you start moving around it, you can really see how cool it looks. But also. One of the things I love, especially if you go bare bottom, I think even if you don't go bare bottom, it's sure. nice, is the uh, transition pieces. The uh, flat cut, super smooth, flat bottom surfaces that mm -hmm. look like rocks coming up out of the ground rather than your, you know, the standard reef saver without a flat bottom or the Pucani or the Fiji that we used to use that is rounded on all sides. And so when you put it on there, it looks like a rounded rock sitting on a flat surface. Yeah. Uh, this stuff comes out of the bottom. And even if you put sand in here, it would hide the fact that it, it feels like it's natural. Uh, the sand, no sand, uh, it's not just this abrupt rock it's face. It's coming out of the bottom it's of really the sea, cool. right? Yeah. yeah, I would call this a huge win, is making sure you're using the right tool again for the right job. Foundation pieces mm. for the bottom look seamless. Even for stability too. Mm. Uh, if I'm using a bare bottom and I don't have like the sand to add as a buffer for if I don't have these flat bottom rocks, then there is the potential for me to bump or maybe you know, if you put the rock on top of the sand that a fish gets burrowed under there and kind of jars the rock work. So foundationally, the flat bottom rock is, uh, you know, a flat surface, super st steady, super stable and stacking things on top of it. I'm not worried about the whole bottom tipping over or rolling over. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so another thing that worked real obvious is uh, the lighting. So both options. So this was a pretty expensive option yeah. of just coating a blanket of light with LEDs like this way. Uh, yep. The nice uh, diffused look doesn't have all the little colors shooting all over the place. So mm -hmm. visually is acceptable to me. And actually, I'd say it's actually one of my favorites because it's a really nice muted look. Mm. Uh, and when you take them off, you know, you can start to see the greens and reds and stuff shooting around. Yeah, and WWC achieved this uh, in a couple different ways. Uh, in the larger 900 and the 500 gallon tank, it was multiple radions mounted super high, probably like 12 to 16 inches high off of the water surface. Some of them almost two feet. Yeah, and uh, and then the T5 supplementation of it. But since there was no hood or, uh, or floating canopy for this tank, uh, you know, the T5s is kind of a uh, not an option here on this, you know, six-foot tank. So uh, on their 293-gallon, this is kind of the option that they went with, mm -hmm. uh, multiple XR15s in two rows uh, with diffusers, and it actually worked for this purpose really well. Yeah, and so related to that, I'm just going to say it, like, mount them high. And yeah. we're doing experiments here that we'll share in the near future here, but, like, you know, people mount these things six inches off the tank or mm. even eight, eight ten, or nine. Yeah. Like, we're seeing like, you know, somewhere between 12 and plus inches is, you know, optimal performance for these lights. And the reason you mount them closer is because maybe visually it just kind of like looks nicer where it's at, you know, yeah. uh, like uh, from a, you know, you know, aesthetic appeal, like furniture looks mm. nicer that way. But in the tank, the performance, yeah. you know, way better. Mm. You gotta remember, you're trying to take all these little individual LEDs and like blend them into one uniform spectrum. And that like right underneath the thing, it might be a thousand par and just like six inches to the right, it might be 200. Mm. And you raise it up and all that stuff just gets blended out, you know, the way it's supposed to. So. Here's a reason why you see all of the successful propagation uh, facilities that use LEDs have them mounted like two feet higher oh, yeah. than the tank. You know, 18 inches, 12 if you really had to, but the higher, the better. And so this one's about a foot off the tank. Uh, and also even uh, off of uh, the T5 LED uh, in the E170, that's about a foot off the tank too. Yeah, and a little easier uh, with that approach, like they do on the 9 and 500 gallon, uh, or they did, uh, was that hybrid type, use the T5s as your diffused blanket light, maybe even the primary light, but uh, especially in the case of the E170. But that adds that blanket. So especially on the, when we're talking SPS corals and or the shadowing effects uh, that can happen to these things, these get shaded underneath. They shade themselves out when they grow into colonies. And uh, if you have a single source of light LED that's a straight super beam versus this kind of blanket diffused, uh, then I can easily get shadowed uh, as I, as my coral starts to grow. So uh, in the E170 works works even better, and it's cheap too. I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, of the available options, you like went like uh, best in class and yeah. uh, reasonably affordable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's definitely the Aquatic Life T5 and the little Kessel guy, right? It, it's so so easy, and uh, uh, there's no denying the results in that tank for sure. Mm. Any tank that we put them on, to yeah, be honest, that's true. All right, so this is one of the ones that actually caught me uh, by surprise uh, and spurred some conversation for the future. Mm. And it is the DC Skimmer that uh, we put in here. That is the Octopus uh, Regal. Yeah, the Regal 200 EXT. Uh, so it was in this system before we started testing skimmers. Uh, but you know, in hindsight, you look back and you're like, man, I'm really glad that we added the, that skimmer in there. I would say, for me, one of the biggest failures of reefing in the last decade is just assuming that more air, more better. Oh, yeah. It's not true. <laughs> it just isn't. Uh, and uh, I learned that now. Like, this one really brought it forward for me because once you can control the amount of air that goes into it to the amount of nutrients you have in the tank, all of a sudden you see why it works together when you like add the right amount of fuel, mm -hmm. you know, air mixture to get the right result. Uh, but prior to that, like, you know, we get phone calls all the time, right? And then it's like, I'll get 10 phone calls from somebody saying, I bought X skimmer, it's the best thing known to man. Yeah, Thank yeah. you so much, yeah. you know? And then you get 10 phone calls to say, that skimmer doesn't same, work at all. Yeah, like, same I can't skimmer. get it to do anything, yeah, that's right? True. And you're like, why is that? Mm. And, like, and you see it on the forums, you see mm -hmm. it everywhere. Like, what is this one guy that's doing so magically that the other guy isn't? Guess what, it's not the skimmer. No, it's not. Not the skimmer. It's the fact that this guy is like doing two little particles of food every day, yep. and there's way too much air, so the like super thin bubbles just burst, and you can see it. it does nothing. You know that you're that person because you look at your skimmer, tons and tons of air, and froth on the top, looks like boiling water, but produces no actual foam, <laughs> right? True. Meanwhile, the other guy is doing three cubes of food a day, he's putting like uh, some nori, nori sheets in there, yeah, like, yeah. you know, doing all kinds of different things, and his is just producing foam he's got the right amount of air, the amount uh, of nutrients that are going into the tank. It's the right fuel mixture for the air. And so we learned that on this one. Mm. Uh, and part of the whole hybrid method is getting like a really easy to use tool, right? Mm -hmm. So a tool that you can adjust easily. In this case, the DC thing, if I got a lot of food, I just start it at the highest and I'll start reducing the air until it performs the way that I want it. Right. The recirculating component, like uh, it just makes it big. So I understand a lot of people probably won't do that. But the recirculating component means that the pump doesn't have to fight uh, the head pressure to be able to fill it up. And your external pump, I can now control the amount of like uh, nutrients or fuel mixture going in there by changing the rate at which we feed the skimmer, right? Awesome. All right, so this one's becoming kind of like a snore uh, because you say it constantly, dude. But one of the things about being simple and stable. The lesson of the year. Is they do their water changes every week mm -hmm. without fail. Uh, you always do them. And you'll def definitely just be in a way higher success pool in that five to ten year mark. Doesn't mean you have to do it like the same way. But if you just want to be in a higher success pool, water changes is definitely it. I think everyone will agree. You may not agree that you need them in all cases, right. but almost anybody who thinks about it logically says, well, if you did do them, you will definitely have more success than people that don't. So this was the hybrid hybrid method in that WWC has a full staff and they can, and one person is in charge of one tank and one person is in charge of another tank. So it's their, I mean, it's their job. They get paid to do the water changes and things like that. Uh, we do have, you know, that too, but we also have multiples of tank and we all have a whole bunch of different jobs. So the hybrid approach was auto water changes. Okay, so <laughs> I will tell you that, uh, like, I did the math in my own head one day. Yeah. And I, like, I could put a dose on these tanks and do auto water changes, mm -hmm. or you could pay you know, Randy at one point in time, or myself, uh, or whoever, uh, to do water changes. And that is a loser's equation, <laughs> right? It is way, way better just to put them on auto and somebody just fills up the bin once in a while with yep. salt. And it was just like, it didn't even take very long before that pays off. Already. Right. Like months, yeah. right? 
Now you can apply that to your home and your home time doesn't actually earn any money, but like what it does do is take away time from your family mm. and all that kind of stuff. And better yet, I say this one, this one's kind of dorky as to you do, but in the summer, man, it's barbecues and baseball games yeah. and stuff that I want to do. I don't want to do water changes. I only have like 12 to like 14 really nice weekends in the summer <laughs> here in Minnesota. And I want to spend them doing fun stuff. I don't mm -hmm. want to do water changes. So the ability to do water changes at home that are automatic, you just dump the bin in and mix it up all the way. Yep. Simple and stable to me. That is like the heart of it. So auto water changes, absolutely something that worked on both of these things. Dilutes any problem that you might have and just makes it a lot easier. So one of the things here also is some of the approaches here just weren't the same on both the E170 mm -hmm. and the XXL750. And one of them is the approach to calcium and alkalinity. So it isn't that you have to do it a specific way, it's that you pick that simple, stable way for that tank. Yeah. And uh, for this one, what was it? I mean, in the 750, it's more along the lines of stability. And there is some simplicity built into this one, especially after we you know, started to learn how to use a continuous duty dosing pump for a calcium reactor, uh, in that we just peg the pH, we peg the concentration, and we just dose the amount that we need for the tank. So that ended up being simple, but stability, especially on this, on this one that uh, would probably go through, it's got a high demand, you know, or it will have a high demand. So you know, as far as stability goes, having a calcium reactor that's just steadily feeding constantly, probably don't have to replace the media as much as I would have to change out two-part, uh, makes this one a simple and stable you know, approach for this tank. The E170 though, uh, not, as, not as complicated, doesn't need to be as complicated, not that a calcium reactor is, but on a small tank like that, I don't need the complexity of a calcium reactor. And or the, space. Uh, yeah, and I don't have the space either. So then simplicity comes into play on that one, and two-part is probably the simplest you can get. Mm -hmm. Two-part uh, jugs just fit the size of the tank mm -hmm. and the investment in the tank. Like I don't have a, as much dollars wrapped up in it as I do with this one, and like it's just way way easier. Yeah. So like both of these things, simple and stable, and they both worked. Uh, in fact, the two-part arguably better, uh, <laughs> which I, I don't know. You know, the calcium reactor uh, people of the world probably say I don't know. Yeah, uh, uh, but. You know, and the only real negative to that in that case is you get extra sodium and uh, chloride, so the salinity goes up. But with our auto water changes, it's keeping it level. Non-factor. Yep. Okay, so one of my other favorite things that really worked out in this case is actually, you know, the advice that we got from uh, Josh, which is clean the sump. The sump should be as clean as the tank. It's part of the tank. Yeah. If it looks like crap, you're going to have a crappy tank. Yeah, and I mean, it was really surprising to open up their, their sumps on their larger systems when we did this series and see, uh, one, that it was super clean, but two, there's really nothing in there. There's filter floss, filter pads, filter socks, and there's their skimmer that's actually external in some cases. And that was really it. But when you opened it up, it wasn't this mess of cords. It wasn't these piles of detritus. It wasn't just a whole bunch of nasty, unused equipment that's not even doing anything in there. It was well kept. And it actually looked, I mean, you could almost display off your sump too. We barely use any of the space down in this one yeah. as well. If I keep it clean, A, peace of mind. You know, yeah. I just know that I'm taking care of my tank. And it, I got to make sure that I'm picking a sump that just isn't a big pain in the butt to do that with. Right. Uh, but as long as it's easy, I'll do it. And so related to that is making sure you capture all the garbage that goes down the overflow, yeah. right? And so it was super cool that we were able to modify the uh, Red Sea uh, overflow to accept the roller mat. And yeah. I got to tell you, I won't put uh, any tank that I can, I won't go without a roller mat or, you know, one of the clears or anything. I don't want to change out the filter socks manually. Mm. I don't really even want to do the pad manually every few days. Like every few days is just too many things for me. I got a lot of stuff going on. I got one year old, three year old in my house. Yeah. You know, everything's just so crazy. So I will change a role though every month mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. So related to that, the last thing that worked, then we're going to get to the things that didn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, the last thing that worked is the actual hybrid method. Yeah, for sure. Me, right? Yeah. And so when they originally approached us about it, they're like, wouldn't it be fun, man, we'll share all of our knowledge with you. And I like, I listened to how they did it and they like really explored it with them. And I'm like, you know, here's a problem, man, is the way that you do it is no question producing results, mm -hmm. right? But 
does not work in a home environment. No, or right? in, this, in this case, office environment too. Yeah, well, even yeah. in an office environment, yeah. like we're not here at night, mm -hmm. we're not here on the weekends. Uh, there isn't people doing, like there isn't a person walking around with a clipboard taking care of the tanks all day long. Yeah. There is actually now uh, here, but <laughs> right. uh, actually I learned that from them. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, there wasn't all those things. That, like you, mm. you're not doing that at home necessarily. And like it, you don't got, four hours a day to every tank, man. It's just like some of the things just doesn't work out. Yeah, true. So like, hey man, let's let's make a hybrid method. We'll take all the things that you know, take all the things not just that like Randy and I know, but like every single person in the building, man, who's talked to eight million reefers at this point, mm -hmm. and we'll blend all that together into a hybrid method that takes the best of what you guys do there in a propagation and wholesale facility and combines it with what people actually do at home to produce the best results. And so for me, the hybrid method itself was absolutely one of the things that worked the best. And I'm not surprised now that when we look down the list in this case, like how many of the things that we put together, we're like, man, that worked, that yeah. worked, that yeah. worked. And why this, you've been listening to us for like an hour now, talking about worked. all the things that worked rather than didn't, right? <laughs> yeah. And so you combine like, you know, knowledge from, well, you know, various, uh, a bunch of different sources and it produced the best results. Now we're gonna go into the fails, yeah. right? And one of the biggest fails here is uh, the GFCI triggered, the power went out, and we lost almost all the fish. I bet you there was five, six thousand dollars in fish. Yeah, this Pay was more. a heartbreaker event. Like more so than coming into a cloudy tank is when you come in uh, or you get a phone call over the weekend that says, "Did you guys know that the tank is off? And is it supposed to be off? And there's actually fish floating because they're dead." I mean, you come in and see your pets that you care for are Just dead. Right? Terrible. I, I mean, what was worse actually is the poor uh, Josh who had to call me and tell me. Yeah. Because oh. you can hear it in his voice, man, how disappointed he is himself. And, you know, just like, it's just a, it's a terrible thing. All right, so this is actually one of those things, this hybrid method. So mm. over at WWC, you don't really have a whole lot of controllers. No, right? they don't, yeah. They got people. They're yeah. there almost all the time, right? Uh, they work seven days a week, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and the facility is kind of set up in a way that somebody would always know, yeah. right? Okay, so here people are gone over the weekend, which is when it happens. Sometimes long right? weekends, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, like, and just like you, you go to work during the day, you sleep at night. There's only a couple of people that live there, mm -hmm. you know, and you go on vacations, yep. right? And so that's where, like, controllers come in, mm. right? And so we actually had a controller monitor on here with the Apex. Fail also associated with this one turn on the apex heartbeat uh, because it will tell you when it's lost connection, meaning that something's happened. So I'm gonna say uh, straight up, fail on apex's part by not having the, RP, uh, the heartbeat turned on by default. I, there's, <laughs> there's some reasons, like they said, they don't want it going off constantly while you're setting Set the tank up, up to begin and, yeah. with, a bad reason. That's a great re like reminder of why this thing exists and how you should use it actually. True. Uh, and so, but uh, I'll own up to it. We should have had it turned on. Mm -hmm. You know, we have hundreds of apexes here, and sometimes you forget stuff. But you should definitely go through and uh, like turn every last feature on. We didn't turn it on, yeah. and because it, we didn't know, otherwise we would have known the moment we lost power, and we would have came here and done it. Tied to that though. Tied to that. Battery backups. So even if we couldn't get here, or we couldn't get somebody here, had we had known. If we couldn't get somebody here for two, three, four hours for whatever reason, if we had a battery backup, major fail, we didn't have battery backups, and these Ecotech battery backups are made for these pumps, and after testing some of them, can last multiple days, so we would have been covered. Uh, over 80 hours. Right? Yeah, on an MP10 over 80 hours, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, because we didn't have battery backups, again, another fail in that the fish could have been saved by either knowing about it or even if we didn't know about it, having a battery backup to keep the oxygen flowing. So you might be asking, why didn't they have the battery backup mm. on there? And I gotta tell you to you. Yeah. Same reason you don't. It was on the list? Yeah. It's on the list of stuff men to do, yeah. right? And you just, I'll get to it someday. Doesn't affect when, me when's today. When's the power gonna go out? Yeah. Like, and so it's the same reason you haven't done it. Uh, yeah. In many cases, and then some of you are like, no, I did it. And yeah. like, Good job. I mean, I, if, if I have an alkalinity problem, I can I solve it and I solve it right now because it's a problem. Mm -hmm. If I don't have a battery backup problem because it's not affecting me right now, I'm gonna solve that sometime. I'm getting to it, but you get to it late. So this is one of the reasons that I use almost uh, exclusively the uh, uh, the Vortec pumps. There's some other reasons too, but 
Like, I will only use a pump that has a battery backup option because mm. I know the power is going to go out. Yeah. You know, it's just like going to go out here and there, and you, know, you never know when it's going to happen. I don't want to lose all my fish and my tank because the power went out. I just don't. And so, like, they have that super easy to install thing. And, like, this was like, a good thing that we uh, discovered this year mm -hmm. is, like, we wanted to test against and the, like, you know, UPS is uh, mm -hmm. you plug your computer in. And I've always kind of like felt like those things don't last very long. You know, mm. once you plug it in, it's like six to eight hours or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's what we found out. Yeah. You tested like what, six or seven of them? Yeah, a couple different ones at a couple different speeds on the pump. And probably the longest that we got out of a fairly expensive, more, almost more expensive than a Vortec battery backup itself. Uh, lasted like maybe eight hours at max, 10 hours at I max. I can't remember exactly that, but it's like, that isn't very long. No. Right, it'll get you through a work day and it'll get you through sleeping, uh, at, sleeping night. at night. Not right? the weekend. But yeah, not a weekend. Mm. And it will only do that today. Yeah. A year from now when that battery's worn out, it won't, it'll be half of that. So, uh, you know, depending on how it cycles and whatnot. But like, yeah, so for me, that, that was a fail. A, man, we didn't have the controller set up, yep. uh, but we also didn't have the battery backup. Uh, after that, we went through every last Apex here, turned on the heartbeat if they weren't mm. turned on, uh, and then made sure anything that has a, uh, a, a Vortec pump on it has a battery, battery backup, backup on it. Mm. Most of them already did in both those cases, but like, make sure, yeah. right? Because something as simple as a GFCI, and I don't know why, uh, the GFCI just tripped. Tripped. It just did. Yeah. Uh, so uh, definitely fail there. All right, so the next one is a fail on my end. <laughs> it's not really grasping how hard the first year of bare bottom is. And, you know, like, mm. you know, when Josh told me straight up, he's like, yeah, so the first year of a bare bottom is really hard, but every year after is actually really easy, mm, right? Okay. Which is the opposite of the sand, which is with sand is super easy the first year. But now I'm cleaning it, and if I don't, I may be running into like old tank mm. syndrome and you know stuff like that. And so, like they're totally polar opposite. And for whatever reason, we all put like the first year as the primary importance, right? You know? Yeah. Uh, but like when I heard that, I'm like, oh man, take master, man. I, what are you talking about? Hard? <laughs> what does that even mean? Uh, and like this just isn't the case, mm. right? It was really hard. You're gonna probably run into kind of cloudy water mm -hmm. for quite a period of time. It'll ebb and flow. Sometimes it'll be worse. Sometimes it'll get better. And you can solve that 100% with a UV sterilizer. So that that's the thing, man. Is a brand new tank uh, uh, that has dry rock and uh, bare bottom. Don't be surprised you run into those things. So year one, I just like the big fail here is not really hearing Josh when he's talking about how big of a problem it was going to be. Mm. Uh, and at home, you know, like I just kind of, maybe just kind of lived through it. But if you're doing a video series and showing like cloudy tanks all the time, Stop. man, that's pretty uh, unpleasant. And it's not that yeah. it was actually like killing anything. It just didn't look good. So I would definitely consider that if you're considering bare bottom as one of our fails is expect that hardness up front. Yeah, and then, uh, I mean, you were just saying it too, uh, right along with that a fail in this case, because we're talking about bare bottom tanks and bacterial blooms and all this, the fail here was not just having the UV set up from the get-go. If I'm going bare bottom, I'm just going to bite the bullet. And instead of spending all that money in sand, I'm gonna buy a proper UV. There you go. Uh, you know, like <laughs> that's it. All right, so oddly enough, I don't really even remember why, but mm. uh, we were using bicarbonate as oh. the alkalinity solution on the E170, right? Yeah, I think Didn't the, work. I think the understanding uh, was in our testing tanks back there where we don't want pH to be a factor, we wouldn't, we would use sodium, sodium bicarb. So instead of soda ash, so that way we can, you know, pull out some of the variables in, in some of those tests back there. Well, I think when this E170 went up, the mentality in that was, you know, we're using sodium bicarb, use sodium bicarb. So the fail here is that we were using sodium bicarb and when an overdose happened, we didn't really notice it in the form of like a, a high pH alert uh, that we would have got on our phone, would have got from the apex, uh, and again, could have came in uh, in the off hours and solved it quicker. Normally with soda ash, I know in a half hour go do something because the mm -hmm. you know, pH alarm would have gone off. But the bicarb, because it was so slow, it didn't change the pH at all and just drip, drip, drip all night Higher long, alkalinity, right? higher alkalinity, yeah. Now, if you had like a trident or something like there that, you, you know, uh, set up there, you know from the alkalinity. But yep. in this case, simple and stable for us, 
just use the right tool for the right job. In this case, I have a monitor on it, mm. and we all know that uh, two-part, or not just two-part, but additive overdosing, yeah. and, you know, a long enough timeline is one of the bigger killers of the tank, right? Yeah. And so let's do the one where we have, we'll go off when the monitor goes off. We have the ability to check it and tell us that this thing needs to go. So that next day, we absolutely turned over back to soda ash for the two-part, and if that ever happens again, we'll know it for sure. All right, so the biggest probably fail here, this one's my fault, uh, 100%. And I'm like, you know, sometimes you just make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And this one came up in the uh, BRS-160 update fails, uh, and that was getting outside sources for Cato. But in this case, um, the 160 is Aptasia-ridden. We all know that. And uh, the Coraline that you wanted to seed this tank with came from the 160, but it didn't look to you like there was Aptasia in there visually, so we just went with it. That's the biggest mistake is it looks clean, <laughs> right? I don't know, man. Like, I looked at the fish, it yeah. looked healthy. I looked at the coral, I don't see bubble algae. Yeah, true. It. it doesn't matter, man. Yeah. You can see it or not, it's garbage. So, like, in this case, I saw a big chunk of uh, the coralline algae kind of plating off on the back. I'm like, oh, I'll just grab this. Yeah. And it doesn't have anything on it. Like, Aptasia doesn't live on the coralline algae, which is stupid because <laughs> mm. it does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, like, so I grabbed it and, like, rinsed it off somewhat and then just crushed it up and put it in here. And immediately. We have coralline. Oh, Coraline, no problem, man. But uh, we also, also now have Aptasia. So it's in the crevices of the rock. It's in the back. So now it's, a, now it's a pest that we have to deal with on its own here. But it lives in here now. It makes you wonder, like, if, you, if that wouldn't have happened, would this be a pest and disease-free tank? Like, there hasn't been, like, the bubble algae in here. Mm -hmm. There hasn't been the bryopsis in here. Uh, there's been dinos and there's been, you know, a cyano and other things like that, but I don't know if that's really a pest. More so than, like, your bubble algae, your aptasias, your, uh, your little spiborbid worms and things like that. It's just uh, hasn't been an issue here, but now we have aptasia. So we're real people here, too, mostly <laughs> myself. Uh, and uh, I will not make that mistake again, especially because, you know what? There's actually a different option now. And I didn't really think about this until today, but like I've seen uh, algae barn. I actually haven't used this stuff, so maybe we'll do an experiment or something with it, mm. but I think it's called like double helix or something mm. like that. Uh, but they sell coralline algae in a bottle now. Oh yeah, it's true. Right? Uh, and so, you know, people have asked so many times, how do I seed my tank with algae and, uh, or coralline algae? Throw and usually it's like scrape some off of a rock from a fish store that looks clean or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's the best thing you can do. I don't know. Maybe now there's yeah, different. So uh, maybe we'll do some experiments uh, on using that stuff. But like I've already heard really good reports about it, mm -hmm. and you know it's not free, but like thirty bucks. I would choose thirty bucks over adding uh, Aptasia to this tank any day <laughs> of the week. Yep. Uh, and one of the things I'm actually kind of curious about is they have like a purple one and a pink one. Uh, like so, it'd be cool to see if you get two colors out of it. I don't know. It'd be interesting. So related to that this is, is the 160 itself. Yeah, the one thing that we haven't talked about. So if you're a follower of the BRS WWC Hybrid Series, there was three tanks that we did the BRS WWC Hybrid Series to. One was the BRS 750XXL, one was the E170 in your office, and then we also did tried the approach on the BRS 160 and it was a fail. Yeah, so we tried to see like, okay, man, so we, we, I'm pretty confident we can, you know, set up two tanks from ground zero this Brand way, new. right? Yep. But everybody that's watching this is like, well, can I do this to my tank? So, yeah, can you right? turn mine over? Or I don't know, I assume anyway, yeah. you know? And so I'm like, well, listen, we want to give them an answer to that, right? And so, you know, we turned the 160 over to the hybrid method and I don't know. I don't know if I'd feel the same way if we just left the sand in the tank. And just trying uh, to change the other Change components. the other elements. It'd yeah. probably been more successful. But I would never, ever tear sand out of a tank again. I know people will do it successfully or whatnot. It was such a failure for me. I just wouldn't do it again. Mm. And if anybody asked me, I'd say don't do it again. Or at least expect negative results for the first year. Yeah. Right? Uh, Such and a destabilizing event uh, for a tank that's been up for two, almost three years at that point. Yeah, I just wouldn't do it. So I don't know. Uh, I would actually tell you if your tank looks fine, leave it alone. Yeah. Right. If there's some problem that you're having, let's solve it. 
if you want to just follow something that just works and uh, you can be documented, you know, you're going to see this for nine months from now again, or mm -hmm. maybe six months even. Uh, but you can watch the results of what we're doing. If you're doing it from ground zero, follow a recipe that works. There you go. Right. But if you're already on your own recipe, it will always be your way uh, and uh, just learn from that. So related to that, you know, we had a bunch of things of like, uh, you know, maybe where the 160 is going, what we're going to do mm -hmm. with it over time and whatnot. So uh, what are we going to do with this tank over the next uh, years, five yeah. years, uh, six months, whatever? So we're making massive change. We're not making massive changes. We're making changes to the 160. But in this case, there's really not much for us to change. Uh, I think like, we'll monitor the bacterial blooms and, you know, things like that to see if, if it does come up again, we're adding UV on permanently. That's the end of that. UV will just live there. Outside of that, simple and stable. Stable meaning what changes do we need to make at this point? We had a laundry list of wins, a smaller list of fails, and we just let it go. You know what just dawned on me, actually, <laughs> is uh, one of the fails we had in the 160 was yeah. I wish I would have bought everything once. Mm. We did that We here. did that here. Everything, in both of these tanks. Yeah, that's true. I don't think we've replaced any equipment. We haven't and replaced any equipment. We're nine here. months from corals, but probably really like, uh, I don't know, maybe a year and a half from like the concept of buying the first thing, yeah. you know, for the tank and really yeah. understand what we're doing. And I don't think we replaced anything. anything. No, nope. it's all been the same from the get-go. Yeah, that's true. That is the coolest thing that I, I, I learned from today, actually. Stability. Just to realize that yeah. simple, stable, we haven't changed anything. We're not going to change anything for the, the future. Uh, come back I got just super like. invigorated by uh, that <laughs> statement, actually, because uh, I don't think I've ever said that about any tanks. Now we're saying about two. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, that's yeah. pretty good. Uh, and so, yeah. So you should expect to see that. And the only change that, again, that we'd make to this one here is if we run into dinos or anything like that again, mm. uh, I'm not going to hang the UV sterilizer off the side this time. Uh, we're just going to find a way to install it yeah, and have it there as a tool that we can run all the time and just prevent that stuff from happening in the future. So hopefully you guys really enjoyed watching this whole series and you continue to see updates. We'll tell you all the stuff that comes up in, in the future. Yeah. Uh, and uh, see that whole playlist right here. Relive yeah. it. Relive the action. Go back through the whole thing. You can see their tanks, uh, all of their tanks there, and you can relive uh, or watch all of the updates to get some reminders of how we implemented this. See you then.